Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. New today, you're visiting because of Mother's Day, wonder what all these, all the talk about marbles is. Well, we're in a new series called Losing Your Marbles, Six Things Every Kid Needs. And uh, it's really a series designed for parents, though you may not be a parent. Um, that's okay. There's a lot of principles that are just for life relationships, but especially today being Mother's Day, it's very appropriate because we have moms of all kinds of kinds of positions in this place. Contrary to what Sam said, I don't know of any mom who stops being a mom, so um, I think once you're a mom, you're always a mom. You never used to be a mom. It's, it's a title that you'll never, ever um, relinquish, and you never want to relinquish that. So um, moms, we're so glad that you're here, but I know that today motherhood isn't always like Ozzy and Harriet, that we've got moms who are um, part of blended families and, and broken families and single-parent moms and um, all kinds of, of different relationships, and we just want to honor you today because mothering is hard, and some of you today are actually dealing with some pain because you would like to be a mom, you just can't find a guy to cooperate and marry you and, you know, make that possible, so I, I, and some of you are married, and God hasn't blessed you with the ability to bear a child, and that's painful, that's really hard. Some of you, I know, um, have grown up, and you didn't have a good relationship with your mom, And so today is not a day that you get all excited about because your mom wasn't there for you and your mom neglected you or abandoned you. I know a lot of stories like that. And I know some moms that might even be here today who feel like, Pastor, I've not been the mom I should have been. And I just want to tell you there's grace for you, there's hope for you. We want to encourage you today. We want to talk to you today about a God who loves you and who sets an example for us as parents. And so as as we go through this series looking at the, the, the marbles and what they represent, this jar represents the weeks we have from birth till 18 with our children. There's 936 marbles in this jar representing 936 weeks. The colored ones represent all the birthdays. There's 18 um, orange balls in here representing 18 birthdays. And And the point was, if we could visualize the time we have, we would make a conscious effort to make intentional investments in the lives of our kids. That every time a week would pass and we'd take a marble out, we could ask ourselves, how did I invest in my child's life this week. And we learned last week that it's not the particular moments that necessarily, that we impact the the, the kids over time. It's just the consistency of a lot of faithfulness, just showing up, just being there. In fact, some of the times that we impact our kids the most are times we don't even remember. In fact, I gave you a homework assignment last week. I said, ask your kids, what are three of their best memories with you? And I asked my son that question um, over lunch last week, and he brought up something that, honestly, I do not to this day remember. He said, I remember we playing this video game, and I said, I don't ever remember playing that video game, but you know what? He does. And there are things you remember that your kids don't. And so it's, sometimes it's just through the faithfulness over time. Because over time, you and I have the privilege to imprint on the soul of a child, make a permanent imprint on the soul of a child. And that's really our goal, to make this indelible imprint on their lives. And so they'll, they'll follow God and give their lives to God and in service to him. And so today we're talking about love and how powerful love is. Because love is, is probably the most dynamic thing we can ever do in our ch- children's lives. It is the, the way we impact their lives the most. I can look over my life and my mother displayed to me the most Christ-like love that I've ever experienced. And a lot of moms in this room have done that through your sacrifice, through your hard work, through your faithfulness. You've done that for your kids. But if we want to help our kids to love God, it begins right here. It begins with loving parents. 
It begins with loving parents. If you have a bulletin, you might want to pull that out and jot some things down. But it begins with, with parents who love their kids. And so we want to talk about that today. And I know, moms, you set the bar pretty high, but I would have to admit, too, there are a lot of dads here today who, who love their kids just as much as their moms. In fact, there are some dads here today who play both mother and father in a single-parent household. It's not exclusive to moms, but I, just from my personal experience, boy, I, can't, I, 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 I want to attain to the kind of love that my mom gave and continues to give. She's 89 years old this year, 89 years old, continues to put her kids before herself. And you know, that's, that's what God has done for us. And when you look at God and how God loves us, it gives us the ability and the inspiration then to love our kids. So as we um, talk about the subject today, I'm going to ask you if you'd open up your heart to God. Some of you need to be just affirmed in the love you're giving. Some of you need to be encouraged to love in more practical ways. And there's probably a lot of people here today, men and women, fathers and mothers, children, who today need to be reminded that there is a God who loves you even more than any mother ever does. And so, Father, we come before you today humbly, acknowledging that we need you, we need your love, and we've asked you to be present through your Holy Spirit. And so now speak to us, Father, and we want to say yes to you as you draw us near to you through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, two things I want to focus on today. First of all, just what God says about love. He elevates love as supreme, and that it is the primary purpose for our lives. We were made to be loved, and we were made to love. You know, Whitney Houston sang a song when I was younger, and it was a really big hit song called The Greatest Love. And in that song, she says, uh, the greatest love of all is to love yourself. And that's a message for, uh, given out in our culture quite a bit. But I have to tell you, that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say the greatest love is, it starts with you. He said it starts with God. In the book of Matthew, a man came to Jesus and was asking what the greatest commands in Scripture were. And here's what Jesus said. It's these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. If you boil it down to its simplest form, the irreducible minimum, love God, love people. It starts with God. God loves us first. He loves us, made us in his image, put us on this beautiful planet. I mean, there's no other place upon this solar system that looks like Earth. He put us on this stage because he loves us. He, he gave us things that will stir our senses, that, that cause us to stand in awe. He loves us, and yet we've turned our backs against him, and yet he still pursues us. In fact, the Bible is really a story of God's continual pursuit of love. He comes after us. He pursues us. God loves. And so the, the, the response is we reciprocate love back to God. We love because he first loved us. And so we love God. We just sang these songs of passionate worship because we love God. We gave an offering. Why? Because we love God. And so we love God in return. And then we start to say, well, if God loves me, and I really can love this kind of a God, then I must believe what he says about me, that he loves me. Now, I want to tell you today, you're not lovable. You're not. I'm not. But here's what I'm here to tell you. You are loved. Already done. Loved before you were ever born. See, lovable means there's some quality about me that makes me lovable. And, 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 and that's not true. There may be some qualities about you, but not all of you, honestly. But, I mean, your mom would say that. Honestly, you are really good. I love you, so nobody leave the church right now. But God, God looks at us as rebellious sinners and says, you know what, I loved you even before you were born. I loved you from the foundations of the earth. I loved you because I chose you, not because you were lovable. 
So God loves us. And so when we love ourselves and we look in the mirror, and this is a breakthrough moment for us, and especially for our kids, when they can look in the mirror and say, I'm not loved because a boy tells me that. I'm not loved because my, my friends tell me that. I'm not loved because I look real pretty. I'm loved because God says I'm loved. And when you can love yourself like that, then you start looking at everybody else. You look at the homeless man on the corner. You look at the person of another uh, racial background. You look at someone who's older than you or younger than you, a uh, different economic class as you, and all of a sudden you say, you know what, God loves that person as much as he loves me. And so I can love that person. In fact, I should love that person like God. And so we love God and we love others. Our whole lives are focused on love. In fact, when it talks about the relationships we have, particularly in the home, husbands love your wives. And wives love your husbands. And parents love your kids. It has to start there, especially, like, can I just emphasize with the kids? It is an essential element of our children's development. It is an essential. In fact, I want to emphasize that today more than probably you'd ever, ever realized. There was a study done several years ago, a famous study of a, of a Romanian orphanage. They examined kids who were given, who were given tender care and, and loving comfort by an adult in one area. Over here were kids who were given no human contact. They were just fed. They had the physical nutrition, but no emotional care. Here's what they found out about these two groups. This group here grew up with something missing. They actually found that their brains had an unformed orbital frontal cortex. It's part of your brain. It was undeveloped because of the lack of affection as an infant. How we treat our babies, how we treat children in those very first years of development, they are finding more and more is extremely significant. In fact, there's a a book out, a powerful book out that um, emphasized this by a gal named Sue Gearhart. She's a British psychoanalytic psychotherapist, and she's written a book called Why Love Matters, How Affection Shapes a Baby's Brain. Here's what she says in in the quotes on your screen. Evidence has shown that a child who is severely neglected physically as well as emotionally can have a dramatically reduced brain size. What happens is when a child is very young and starts to experience stress and fear and trauma, and a loving adult comes along beside because they don't know, they've never experienced it, they don't know what to do with it, an adult comes by and helps them deal with it, Things happen in the brain. There's all these hormones and chemicals, cortisol and serotonin that begin to work, and the brain forms neurological paths. Now, I know it's kind of scientific, but it forms these pathways in your brain of how to handle the situation that then get reinforced over those first few years and almost get locked into that child. So later in life, when they deal with things, they've they develop the coping mechanism. Now, a child who doesn't have that as a child, who doesn't have a caring adult. In fact, if that adult is, is neglectful, if that adult creates fear in the life of the child, if that adult is um, abusive to that child, creates an unsafe environment, that part of the brain gets undeveloped. And they found it to contribute to later episodes of aggressiveness in young children, um, depression, obesity, illiteracy, and criminal activity. So if you have the privilege of, of, of nurturing A little infant, know how important these years are to the future of your children. The World Health Organization says the investment in early childhood is the most powerful investment a country can make. And I believe it's this lack of love 
shown to children today as they've grown up that, that isn't the sole cause, but I do believe it contributes to the epidemic of kids cutting themselves, wanting just to feel something, of sexual promiscuity, wanting to substitute kind of an artificial love for the lack of love within their lives, for kids running away from home, committing suicide, turning to gangs where they are loved and accepted and find a place of belonging. So it's so important at every stage of life, but especially at the youngest, to, to nurture them and let them experience love. And the Bible says that that kind of love ought to be the filter for our con- conduct, for everything we say and all that we do with our kids. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. What he's saying here is is the greatest intentions, the greatest achievements, minus love equal zero. Well, I, put, I work hard to put a roof over my kid's head and put food on the table. Yes, but do you love them? You know, I work hard to instill in them values and work ethic and discipline. Yes, but as a flow from a heart of love. See, that's the key. Everything we say and do should flow from the heart of love. In fact, I'd, I, I would challenge you to ask this question constantly as parents. As you're getting ready to interact with your kids, ask yourself, is this the loving thing to do or the loving thing to say? And I can guarantee you it will change some of your responses. In the heat of the moment, when a child is getting irate and your blood pressure is going up and you're getting ready just to unleash a fury on your child, and if you pause and say, okay, God, what's the loving thing to do? I'll I'll tell you what it does to me. It makes me dial it down, step back, catch my breath, and come back and try this again and talk in a very caring, tender way to my child. If you're getting tempted to work late, make a little more money for your family, saying, well, you know, this could help us do a few more things, but ask yourself, okay, is this the loving thing to do? You very likely may decide, you know what? Our kids, my kids are going to bed here in a couple hours. I want a little more time with them. I'm going to put that off. Maybe tomorrow I'll go in early, but I'm going to go home right now. Or if you break a promise with your kids, the loving thing to do means you humble yourself. Go apologize. Say you messed up on that time. Ask yourself that question because this should be the filter for all of our actions and interactions with our children. See, we have our kids for a short period of time, 936 weeks before they turn 18. And it's a lot like, like we have a window. And when the kids are young, this window is wide open. You know, they're, they're given to us and we've got a wide open window. And, and some of you are probably looking at this, hey, Pastor, I know, but my kids are a pain. No, I just had to throw that in there. But we got this open window here, and we're pouring love into our kids. But you know what happens over time? That window gradually closes. And they start to go off to an elementary school, and they find out for the first time in their life that they're not so cute, and those freckles aren't so adorable, and glasses and braces are kind of funny. And being skinny or fat sometimes could be too skinny or too fat. And all of a sudden, they don't feel quite as loved. And they get to be teenagers, and the standards are set even higher. And they're worried about acceptance from others. And that, that window closes more and more. And they start to look around and realize, you know, what my friends say is more important than what my parents even say. And I'm basing my own self-esteem on, on what my friends are saying. And so this window closes and closes. And, you know, it kind of locks down here after a while to say, you know what? I don't have as much opportunity now to plant 
love in my kids. Now, you're, you're always going to have opportunity to love your kids, but the window gets smaller and smaller over time. It's so critical in their early development that we love them and set up that, those, uh, those hard things within their brains and within their hearts knowing that, hey, my parents love me. That must mean there's a God who loves me. Because if my parents don't love me, how in the world could a God in heaven love me? When I was a children's pastor, I had a book on my shelf called Children Are Wet Cement. And it just emphasized the same thing. There is a period of time when children are very moldable, but over time, things start to firm up and get harder. And it's harder to change a person the older they get. It's easier to rear a child than to remake an adult. And so we want to shape them when they're young. So let's look at some practical ways. How can we show love to our children practically or tangibly? As Sam said, it can't just be words. It's got to be actions. And our kids need to know that we love them unconditionally. We can love them because they did their chores. We can love them because they made the team. We can love them because they look so pretty. But we equally should love them when they're not so pretty, when they're being disobedient. See, Pastor Sam tells our staff sometimes that, you know, if your kids have misbehaved, good. It's an opportunity to teach grace. That's what grace is, to get what you don't deserve. So it's an opportunity to love our kids. So here's some ways, practical ways we can love them. Number one is to be present for them. Be present for them. In Mark chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus is calling disciples, and here's what the scripture says. He appointed 12 that they might, get this, be with him. To be with him. To be with them for three years. They got to be with Jesus. He loved them enough that he says, I'm going to immerse myself in your lives for three years. There's power in presence. There's power in just showing up. And parents, you know it. When you show up for your child's uh, band concert or for their special awards day or for their sporting event, it says a lot to them. Oh, I didn't know that as a kid. I didn't know that's what parents were supposed to do. I've been racking my brain all week thinking, of, of one time when my dad showed up for Little League Baseball or, or junior high or high school basketball or any sporting event, and I can't think of one, not even one. And I know my dad worked afternoons and evenings most of his life, and he was a hard worker. I appreciate that. But, you know, I, I think that affected me more than I realized. To not be present there. That's why the one memory that really sticks out very heavily in my heart is the year I graduated from Bible college. I was the first college graduate in my family. And so my dad rented a motorhome, packed up all the kids, and then drove 500 miles out to Nebraska Christian College. Now, the rest of the family, all the kids asked if they could take my car back because they didn't want to ride home with dad. But uh, I rode home with mom and dad in the motorhome, and it was a wild ride. If you watch like a, like a, a family vacation kind of a scene, it was like that. You know, this motorhome was sputtering, and my dad was cursing it. One time my dad yells back to me, Get praying, Darren! <laughs> So I said, no, that's, that's my gift. I'll pray for you, Dad, because he was losing his temper at this because this thing was chugging up the hills in Iowa. But I remember that whole event, and what touches me is he took vacation time. He made a sacrifice of money. He was present. Presence is a powerful way to show someone you love them. Take time to know them. Take time to know them. Psalm 139 says that God knows us. He knows when we sleep and when we get up. He knows where we go, he knows every word before it's even on our lips. He knows us. How well do you know your kids? Now, you may think you know them, but ask your kids. I mean, there are things about our kids that many of us never, ever know. And I know there's some things you really don't want to know. Like, I, I, I don't really like the music my son likes. 
And there's a lot of shows that he likes. I mean, we, we are in two different worlds when it comes to movies. He likes science fiction, you know, all that kind of stuff. I like real-life stories. I like the true story, you know, uh, Unbroken. And, you know, those, I love Rock, you know, uh, Rudy, and I love those stories. He likes the space stories, The Hobbit, and all that kind of stuff, and that's his world. But you know what? Our kids need to know that they're known, who their friends are, what their interests are. In fact, I would challenge you as a parent this year to not have your kids make a Christmas list. And instead, you set your own goal that I'm going to figure out what they're interested in, what they like, what their needs are, and I'm going to make their Christmas list. Because when you know someone, you'll know that kind of stuff. You'll know those parts of their life. So it says a lot to our kids about loving them when we care enough to actually get to know them. Then we protect them. Protect them. Jesus says in John 17, that's, that's what he did for those disciples. John 17, while he's praying, Jesus said, while I was with them, his disciples, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. When we love someone, we protect them and make, and, and provide a safe environment. It doesn't mean they'll never um, be in a place where they could be harmed, but it means we set up boundaries that, that provide some safety. Really, as parents, when you set rules for your kids, that's an expression of love. Now, it may not be in your case, but it ought to be. It ought to be. I love my kids enough that I don't want them to go to certain places on the internet. I don't want them hanging around certain friends. I don't want them staying in late at night in certain locations. It means that you love them. When our daughter came home from college, her freshman year of college, Christmas break, she wanted to go see an old boyfriend. And uh, as she was leaving the house, I said, okay, honey, be home at midnight. And she said, what? <laughs> I said, be home at midnight. She said, Dad, I'm in college. When I was at college in California, nobody told me when I had to get home. I could come home anytime I wanted to. And I said, I know that. You didn't have a dad over there. I'm here. I know, I know that not much good happens after midnight, especially in a dorm room with a boy. So uh, it's not saying I don't trust you. I don't trust him. <laughs> so while you're home, that's the rule. Now, rules are like scaffolding. They're there temporarily, but over time they, you start to dismantle them because really the goal is that our kids would embed those values and principles within their own hearts so they could manage themselves. But it is an expression of love. If you don't have any rules for your kids when they're young, I'll just tell you this, you don't love them. Because love will protect them and set up boundaries to keep them safe. Next, guide them. Guide them to God. If we love our kids, we'll give them what matters most. You know, I've heard parents say this to their kids, and it sounds good. All your mother and I want for you is that you are what? Happy. Happy. That's what I've heard. You know, we just want you to be happy. You know, when, when my son was little, um, he discovered that was, that was his life purpose, to be happy, to have fun. And my wife used to always say that, that not, on, not only was his purpose, it was the purpose of everybody else around him to make sure his life was fun. But even though we want our kids to have fun and, and be happy, that can't be the ultimate goal. Nor can it be comfort. Sometimes we want to set up our kids financially to be comfortable. I've seen all kinds of horror stories of kids who never had to work for anything. Parents hand them comfort and they just squander it. I believe that if, if we are to give our kids something significant, it goes back to this command to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind. We've got to guide them to God. Give them a personal relationship with God. Help them fall in love with God. See, what I, what I leave in my kids is far more important than what I leave for my kids. 
I want to implant in them something that will endure over time. My wife and I like the show Amazing Race. If you've seen it, you know, couples go all over the world to all these exotic places and do these challenges. And at the end of every leg of the race, they come to this mat and they stand on it before a guy named Phil and, his, and, and someone else from that culture. You know, I, I picture life a lot like that, that, that there's an adventure in life and my wife and I are sharing it. And recently on, on Amazing Race, they had the family version where families were doing activities together. Can you imagine doing all these fun activities, getting on the mat at the end of life together, standing before God? But what if God says to you, says to the parents, uh-oh, you didn't finish your assignment. And then the kids look up to you and go, Dad, what was the assignment? Dad, what were we supposed to be doing? All this activity, did, what did we forget? I don't want to be the parent that says, I forgot to tell you the most important thing, which was to love God. I'm sorry. I don't want to be a parent on the mat before the Lord. Because one day we will stand before God. And get this, one day your kids will stand before God. And the goal at that moment is not that they were happy kids. It was that they were faithful, that they loved God, they had a relationship with him. So we've got to do everything we can to instill in them a sincere faith in the Lord. And then parents, this is something some of you need to hear today. Never, ever, ever give up on your kids. Never give up on their kids. That is one of the most supreme examples of love when love never fails. If you think the twos are terrible, wait till the teens. I know, and I've experienced this, when you have kids and they get through that, they are starting, they're starting to jockey for independence. And there's some headbutting, and there's some fighting and arguing, and there are times where you raise your voice and they raise their voice. I remember a time when my son looked at me and said, Dad, I hate you. And at that moment, I had a decision to make. Will I be the kid or the parent? And I said, I'll be the parent. And so I absorb it. Recognizing that my son's going through a phase in life that I hope he outgrows. I need to be strong enough as a person to take it and not give it back. I'm not going to reduce myself and say I hate him. I'm not going to do do what he's doing because he's the child, I'm the parent. I, I should be above that at this point in my life. And I think many of us miss that opportunity with our kids at those critical moments. And how you respond in those critical moments is huge. It's so huge. Our kids will, will ask, do you really love me? It'll be, it'll be shown in your response. Reggie Joyner, who helped write the book, um, Losing Your Marbles, says when his daughter was 13, they got in this big argument up in her room, and, and he left the, her bedroom upset. So he went downstairs and didn't know what else to do but get away from the situation, got in his car, drove off, and a short time later, his cell phone goes off, and it's his daughter. She says, Daddy, where are you? He said, Honey, I just needed some time away. I needed to think about these things. It's been real difficult to deal with. She said, Daddy, I need to know that you love me enough to fight for me. And you and I need to be the ones to say to our kids, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter where you go, I will never, ever, ever stop loving you. I'm the parent. That's my job. That's my commitment to you, to love you. Jesus told a story of a guy, farmer, who had two sons, and one of the sons decided he wanted to go off and do his own thing. And so his dad gave him his inheritance. He went off to this foreign land. The Bible says he squandered his money on wild living and prostitutes. And yet all during this time, the dad was waiting for him. And when the son finally came to his senses, the Bible says that, that he began to turn toward his home. 
And I want to read to you the end of the story. It's found in Luke chapter 15. You can read the whole story there, but I'm just going to read the, the end of the story, starting with verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. This story just sends this message, message to parents to be like this man. Give your kids space, but don't turn your face. Give your kids room to do their thing, to make mistakes, but never ever turn your back on your kids to say you're not there for them. See, this father, as his son was off, doing something that was so despicable, he was He's, he's Jewish and he's feeding pigs, hanging out with the pigs, hanging out with prostitutes. And he starts coming home and the dad, you can just picture, this dad's been waiting for this day. He's always looking for a son. When his son comes over the horizon, the dad sees him and, and rather than fold his arms and tap his toe saying it's about time he showed up, the dad goes running down. The dad goes running after him. And as the boy comes near, the dad wraps his arms around him. And the, dad, the boy says, Dad, I'm just not worthy. I'm just not worthy to be called your son anymore. And the dad says, Oh, you are my son. Here's my robe. Here's my ring. Here's my sandals. We're celebrating tonight for this son of mine was lost. Now he's found. Do you see any diminishing love from the father in that story? No, not at all. Unconditional. A love that would never, ever give up. That's the kind of love God has for you and for me. And if we want our kids to fall in love with God, it will begin with parents who love their kids that way. And you know, today is Mother's Day. And a lot of you moms are going to be affirmed today of, that, of all the love you poured into your kids as they crawl up on your bed, as they make tea for you, as they, as they clean the house, as they write a card, as they pick up the phone and call you. It's kind of a harvest day of all that love you've poured in to get a little, a little statement back to say, Mom, it was worth it. You made an impact. In fact, Teleflora, a flower business, put together some commercials, and there was one that just ripped my heart out. Um, a young man, a military guy, lived in a single-parent home. And I want to take a few moments here for you to watch the story, and then we're going to close our service in a special prayer time. So watch your screens. Teleflora. I have a special delivery from your son Ryan that he really wants you to see. Oh my gosh. Hi mom. Happy Mother's Day. I wanted to let you know how much I love you and I appreciate everything that you've done for me in my life. The distance between us isn't always easy. It's actually pretty hard sometimes. I still remember the last time we saw each other. It was almost two years ago. I was passing through San Diego on my way out to Japan and you drove two hours just to sit down and have coffee with me for 45 minutes, just discussing what's going on in our lives before I had to get on my flight and continue on. I miss you. It's been hard. Growing up, it was just the two of us. 
you had all the responsibility of raising a young boy into a man that you could be proud of. You gave me so much. I didn't know how much you sacrificed until I was an adult at college, and I learned that you had a dream to become a professional athlete, and then you got pregnant with me and you had to choose. You knew you couldn't do both, and you gave it up to raise me, to raise me the best way that you knew how. And you instilled in me that sacrifice and that dedication, and you gave me everything that you had. I realized how hard it was, and thank you very much. The discipline, the love, the support, the understanding that you gave me. I think of all the things that you did for me. I look at my children. If I can just do half of what you did, they would be so much better off. You were a guiding light for me. And I've taken everything that you've given me, and I've run with it. Because of you, I stand here today. A father, a husband, a Navy commander. And it's because of you. You show me how to work and not quit, and have honor, have integrity. I've achieved all these things because of the foundation that you laid, the example that you led. You always said the, the reward for hard work well done is the opportunity to do more. Well, you're right. I've done well in the Navy, and I got more hard work ahead of me. And uh, I think it's going to be even harder to see each other. And that's why I wanted to make this Mother's Day so truly special. Above all, Mom, I hope when you look at me, you see the good man that you wanted your little boy to be. I'm proud to call you my mother. I'm proud to be your son. You made me the man that I am today. And I love you with all my heart. <laughs> I know I ruined your makeup today, but <laughs> you know, as much as you saw in that a picture of a mother's love, I want to tell you this, whether you're a man or a woman, young boy, young girl in this room today, that there's a God who loves you even more than a mother loves her son, who's sacrificed so much for you, a God who's been there your whole life, protecting you trying to guide you down a path. He's been whispering to you. Maybe you haven't been listening, but he's there. He's, he's never turned his back against you. He's here to meet with you and to love you this day. And I know that some of you have strayed from God and some of you say, God, I've let you down. And some of you say, God, I need you. I need hope and I need something that you have to give. But I want you to know today, every single person in this room, that a mother's love is only a glimpse of the kind of love that God has for us. 
It's even greater. The Bible says we can't even comprehend the height, the depth, the width, the breadth of God's love for us. And we want you to know that love today. If there's anything you can walk away with today, it's that God loves you immensely and wants you just to surrender your life to him. And so I'm going to ask you to stand and for our prayer partners to come right up front here, right? Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.